Hello and welcome to the Investing On The Go podcast brought to you by Fund Calibre. I'm Ryan Lightfoot-Brown and today I'm joined by Alex Arujo, the Elite Rated Manager of the m Global Listed Infrastructure Funds. Alex, thank you very much for your time today. Hi Ryan, good morning. Pleasure to be here. Um, now, your fund invests in three different types of infrastructure, the economic, social, and what you call evolving. Um, if we could just go through each of those in turn, maybe a few examples to help bring that to bring that to life for our listeners. Um, firstly, what are the type of companies that are included under the economic category? Right. Well, Ryan, this is the, the broadest uh, exposure and, and, in fact, the largest exposure in the fund. It's typically around two-thirds of the overall um, exposure of, of our strategy. And it spans three subsectors. So, just to make things slightly more complicated, um, utilities, businesses, uh, energy infrastructure, and transportation infrastructure. So, think of the sort of uh, for lack of a better term, old economy or real economy type uh, infrastructure assets. Um, so within utilities, which is an extremely important area for us, um, you have everything from electricity generation to water to waste and recycling and so on. Um, so an example there, and, and this is a global strategy, so perhaps I'll give you an example of a, a, a sort of a faraway business, which which would be a, a company we invested in last year that's listed in Hong Kong called China Gas Holdings, which um, is involved in uh, making connections and distributing natural gas uh, within China to industrial and household users, uh, which is actually uh, quite an interesting decarbonization uh, initiative because it displaces the use of, of coal. Um, within energy infrastructure, you can think of pipelines, for example, not energy production, not the production of, of energy products, but the transportation, storage, processing of these products. And then in transportation, uh, it would be uh, things like airports, toll roads, and and public transit, for example. Okay, thank you. Um, so, what about the social um, category of infrastructure? Well, this is uh, an area that's, uh, of course, uh, become extremely critical. It's quite apparent that these are they're critical assets for the functioning of society. Uh, and you can think of things like hospital infrastructure, um, municipal buildings, schools, fire and police stations, um, university accommodation, courthouses, things like that. So, so um, uh, m- mainly government sponsored or, 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 or government contracted uh, building infrastructure that is critical for the functioning of society, and I think you know um, hospitals are a great example of this. And, and one of the one of the reasons this is such an attractive area and is one of the more defensive areas of this portfolio is that even if this infrastructure isn't actually being used, so think of last year, for example, schools being closed, libraries being closed, and so on, the infrastructure owner um, in which we're invested still receives the contracted revenues, which tend to grow at roughly the rate of inflation. Sure, thank you. Um, and then finally, maybe we can look at the evolving infrastructure. Um, is this sort of some of the new economy versus the, the old economy of the economic side? Yeah, in some ways it is. And it's it's quite an exciting area because, uh, as you can imagine, it is structurally growing. And so in the same way that last year, for example, and more recently, we've, we've come to find social infrastructure quite critical. Um, what about digital infrastructure? Uh, everything that's required to function in a, a digital economy, to work from home, entertain ourselves from home, be connected to, to families and loved ones by a, vid- by a video and so on. So these are things like mobile phone towers, like data centers 
centers, without which the internet wouldn't wouldn't exist, or even optical fiber networks. And I think um, something else has become quite apparent is that this infrastructure um, has significant requirements for further investment to make it more robust, to to address the demands on the need for for data and connectivity. Um, I'll give you an example of a, a, a recent holding. In fact, the newest holding in the fund, which we invested in very recently, is um, a German-listed company called Vantage Towers. Uh, and this is actually the spin-off of the digital infrastructure towers uh, from Vodafone. Uh, it's something that's been happening over the years where telecom service providers have actually spun off or divested their infrastructure assets in order to fund their ambitions in building out their networks and 5G and so on. And so these digital infrastructure assets are, are, are extremely attractive for us because they have very long lives, very long term growing contractual cash flows and increasing opportunities around the need for 5G connectivity and so on. So it's a very exciting area. And across these three categories, I should mention, you have very different characteristics of the underlying um, businesses and holdings. They don't actually necessarily move in the same direction at the same time in the same manner in various markets. So they are quite complementary and diversifying to one another. Okay. Well, so with that in mind, if they are all sort of um, quite different, what area do you think is the most exciting today for you in terms of the opportunities that are there? Mm. Well, they're all exciting. <laughs> I should I should preface with that. But at the moment, in terms of valuation opportunities and potential upside, I, I would probably highlight the first category we talked about, economic infrastructure, because in the midst of the global pandemic and economies voluntarily shutting down and so on, um, you can just think of you know how empty airports and uh, empty toll roads and so on um, would would affect the um, these kinds of businesses. Valuations have become extremely attractive. Um, so some of the transportation transportation infrastructure businesses and energy infrastructure, for that matter, look extremely attractive in terms of upside around reopening of economies. And the UK is so early in that reopening, as we all know, uh, but others will follow and increasingly people will um, will become passengers again and will travel on toll roads and through airports. Um, the other very important area, as I'm sure we're all aware, is this need for decarbonization and the greening of um, recoveries. And that's a huge initiative on the part of not just the European European Union and the UK, but uh, America under Biden's new infrastructure plan and uh, emerging markets as well, including China. And so businesses in transition, particularly around energy generation, moving from uh, less sustainable forms of energy generation towards more renewable and more sustainable forms of energy generation are um, are extremely attractive, including those that are uh, providing transition fuels, like the example I gave earlier around using natural gas as a decarbonizing measure as an intermediate step where renewables aren't yet available or the opportunity doesn't yet exist. Yeah, because on that note, actually, I noticed that in the portfolio, you recently sold a holding called Enbridge because M&G updated its sustainability policy and this company no longer mm. fit. Um, what what really changed about that company in particular and what are the requir requirements of the companies in which you do invest and which areas you will exclude? Yeah, well, that that holding is a particularly interesting one, and, and we could talk for days about it. I'm sure it's been held on the fund since day one, uh, and there had been some controversy around a project in which the company was a minority uh, joint venture participant. So, uh, unfortunately, not in control of the processes, and um, and and it, it, we did initially go through a a validation process to get that holding in the fund. We didn't feel like the company should be excluded at the time, and it was held for a little over three years. Um, the policies around um, 
UNGC or UN Global Compact violations or allegations of violation have tightened up uh, over time. And we needed to go to our independent governance committee again with this holding. And uh, I think it's a good example of how uh, third party or independent validation and scrutiny of a holding is extremely important in the world of ESG, rather than just just unilaterally uh, dismissing uh, an issue around a controversy. So it was quite a rigorous process, hundreds and hundreds of pages of uh, submission around it. uh, And we were, in fact, unsuccessful in defending its position in the portfolio uh, as a result of uh, a vote. We did get some votes in our favor, but in the end, um, it was uh, was determined that the, the violation or the alleged violation was serious enough that it should be divested for the time being. But that, of course, can change. And given the opportunity, again, we would invest in that business because we do believe uh, it is a very high quality, well-governed, sustainable business. Uh, it's just that we had a uh, had an internal debate around it and and uh, and it didn't go our way in this case. Um, in terms of exclusions, just to your to your point, um, we, we exclude certain activities um, around sustainability uh, considerations. And so we put some strict limits on coal fired power for example, uh, and nuclear power. Um, and, and we still have some little bits of exposure. Again, remember those transition businesses that are transitioning uh, and are providing that huge opportunity. So we don't completely exclude, but we put some strict limits. And we also have some carbon intensity thresholds that we're very, very uh, vigilant on. And, uh, and so again, all of this steering to sustainability for economic reasons in order to avoid stranded asset risk to avoid the, the loss of social license to operate and therefore ensure the sustainability of the cash flows and preserve the capital for uh, our investors. So there's a lot to it. It's, a, it's, it's quite an involved and intricate process. Okay, thank you. Um, and just going back to sort of the social infrastructure bucket, you own um, an investment trust called Home Reads, which is all about combating homelessness and providing accommodation to vulnerable people across the UK. It doesn't strike me as an area that you usually associate with um, making money or being a sort of investment case. Um, but obviously, it does add value to society. Um, can you tell us more about the holding? Um, mm-hmm. Sort of why you why you're able to sort of balance those two needs in there, please. Yeah, well, this is—it's an interesting one, and it's—it's it's analogous to other areas of social infrastructure, such as hospitals, for example, where um, a government-sponsored provision of infrastructure and the services within them is—is—is um, is, is a, a private and public sector partnership in many ways. So, if you think of a hospital, yes, the the NHS provides the services inside those uh, those hospitals, but it's actually the infrastructure uh, business or or owner that actually owns the building and, and and provides that that building's availability to 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 that service. So we do have businesses like that. Um, we we have a holding, for example, called Hickel, uh, which is a, a UK listed closed ended uh, trust, and and that business owns the hospital but doesn't provide the um, the services inside. Um, Home REIT is is analogous in many ways because there is a need for um, for accommodation for for the homeless, and and that is provided by um, by by local. Uh, um, by local councils, um, and, and it is certainly um, a public sponsorship, but um, those facilities aren't actually owned by the local authorities. Um, so regardless, they have to pay somebody um, 
in the private sector to um, to provide that accommodation, and then the, the services are then uh, put forward by the local authority. So um, as long as that's a requirement, where the, the the local authority or the public entity doesn't actually own the infrastructure, it ends up being privately held, and and its availability is paid for by uh, by that local authority to the benefit over time of of investors. So it's critical social infrastructure, and it's a partnership between the private and the public sector. Um, so now just going to your portfolio as a whole, um, how do you sort of balance the need for some capital return as well as generating some income um, for your shareholders and for the funds? Can you just talk us through um, that maybe with the difference in the sort of economic, social and evolving cases as well? Sure. Well, we are uh, resolutely focused not on yield, but on the growth in the dividend stream, which itself comes from the growth in the cash flows um, that are backed by these physical infrastructure assets. Um, so uh, there is a, a, a common perception that infrastructure businesses are high yielding. Uh, and, and it's true. You can go and find high yielding, non-growing infrastructure assets and businesses, but that's not what we do. Um, we happily take a slightly lower um, starting yield. It's still very generous. It's, it's significantly higher than, than the global equity market at roughly three and a half percent at the moment. But where we then get the capital return is by way of the growth in the underlying dividends, um, which we then uh, translate into growing income to our own unit holders uh, over time. So what you end up with is a, at the current in the current environment, a starting yield of roughly three and a half percent, and then growth in the income stream of between five and 10 percent over time, which basically turns into your capital return for a total expect a return in the high single digits with lower volatility and, and lower drawdown than the broader equity market. And that's since we've launched three and a half years ago, roughly what we've what we've delivered. It's almost exactly it's exactly what we've delivered um, with all kinds of market environments and a global health pandemic thrown in for good measure. Um, so that's how it all comes together. But again, that resolute focus on growing dividends is key um, to your question around the three categories. It's very true that the the nature of the dividend growth or the profile of that dividend growth is different. Um, economic infrastructure, as you'd expect, has a dividend growth rate roughly around the growth rate of GDP. Um, social infrastructure, as I mentioned earlier, roughly a growth rate of inflation. And then within evolving infrastructure, you get those higher structural rates of growth that are associated with some of the fastest growing areas of the economy, particularly uh, around digital infrastructure. Well, Alex, that's been super interesting. Uh, thank you so much for your time today. Oh, it's a great pleasure. We're very excited about the the asset class, and I, I do believe it's poised for uh, great things over the short, medium, and long term. Brilliant. Well, on that excellent note, we're going to have to leave it there. Um, for more information on the elite-rated M&G Global Listed Infrastructure Funds, please visit our website, fundcaliber.com. And for more from our Investing on the Go podcast, please subscribe via your usual channels. Please remember, we've been discussing individual stocks to bring investing to life for you. It is not a recommendation to buy or sell. The fund may or may not be holding these stocks at time of your listening.